Christmas and the flow of kingdom hope, part one now, part two, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve at 10 a.m., right? One hour service. Let me share from Matthew chapter 2. I want to read 12 verses. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I hope you have a Bible of some kind with you. In church, always have a Bible. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, meaning the the leadership, the aristocracy in Jerusalem. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem, quote, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they misquote the prophet Micah. That's another sermon. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of the earth. That's not what Micah said. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they explain this to Herod. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come to worship him. What a liar. Nine. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, we just sang about it, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We don't know that there were three. We assume there were three because of the three gifts. There's nothing in the text other than the carol to indicate that there were kings. They weren't kings. They were wise men. It's still a nice song. After Jesus was born, all right, fast forward a little bit. His parents took him to the temple in Jerusalem in accordance with the custom of Jewish law regarding the firstborn and dear old godly dying Simeon took the Christ child in his arms and said these words. It's in Luke 2, 28 to 35. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory for your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, look at these words, this child is appointed for the fall, note the order, 
and rising of many in Israel. The fall, fall first. The fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is, there's the verb, opposed, and then to marry a sword will pierce through your own soul. And then there's so much here, the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. The thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. It's almost as though Simeon had some special knowledge of the birth events as recorded that we just read from Matthew. What a, what a separation. What a revealing of hearts. We saw, we read about in Matthew's account, people coming to the Christ child with worship in their hearts, people inquiring of the Christ child with murder in their hearts. Worship, murder. Simeon says, the thoughts of many are going to be revealed around this little baby. Matthew records the details, and as you read it, you go, wow. The thoughts indeed are being revealed. I think there are five truths. I'm going to try and go through them quickly. They're underscored by Matthew, and here they are. A, Jesus is the king of the Jews, is to be honored and worshipped as such. B, Jesus is to be received and worshipped not just by the Jews, but by all the nations of the world. C, it is the ultimate priority of Father God that his Son be known and acknowledged by all peoples. D, Jesus is troubling to those who don't want to worship him and becomes a root of opposition for those who do worship him. And E, true worshipers bow before Jesus, understanding the uniqueness of his person, moving on in transformation of character. There's the skeleton for the message. One, Jesus is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, and is to be honored and worshipped as such. The Magi, from the east, they came to Jerusalem to ask this question. It's in our text in the second verse. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? There. Matthew is the first one, gives us this title. the king of the Jews. Now that in itself isn't maybe all that amazing. Right now in Canada, there are probably two, three, maybe four children who one day will grow up to be prime minister in our country. They're probably alive now. There will be at least that many children living right now in the United States who will one day be president. I mean, we just know statistically that's true. But nobody really cares about this. Nobody sets to find out who's going to be prime minister one day and seeks to honor them in some special way. We just let time take its course. But verse 4 of our text makes it clear that that's not at all the approach the Magi have in mind. By the way, Herod restates their question about the location of baby Jesus. It's in that fourth verse. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where 
the Christ was to be born. Notice, notice. He's the Christ immediately upon birth. Now, Herod had been the Roman appointed king over the Jews for almost 40 years. The Jewish people called him their king for a long time. Nobody ever called Herod Messiah. Not ever. Messiah means God's own anointed ruler. Messiah means the one who would overcome all other rule, the one who would bring in the last reign in history, who would establish the kingdom of God and never lose that kingdom again, ever. Nobody called Herod the Messiah. So the reason Herod is so curious, and as we'll see in a minute, so upset, he understands these wise men aren't searching for a someday, one day, successor to the throne. They aren't just looking for a king, a future king. Herod knows they're looking for the king of kings. So immediately, Herod asks where he can find this child. And we see in verse 4 that his scribes and wise men They look up the answer right where anybody could have found the answer if they wanted to. They turn to the old covenant book of Micah, chapter 5, and they read, they read these words. But you, O Bethlehem, who are, notice how different it is from the way it's quoted in Matthew, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. That's the answer to the where question. But what if Herod had asked who instead of where? If Herod had said who, well, the scribes would have kept reading in the prophet Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Look at whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. And now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's what Matthew means for all of us to see and understand. This baby, the Messiah, King of the Jews, this is none other than God's anointed Messiah. This king was like no other king. He didn't begin his existence in the womb of his mother. Micah says his coming forth is from days of old, right there. Coming forth from old, from ancient days. So this this baby, get your head around it, fresh from his mother's womb, was in fact the same one who had formed his own mother in the womb of her mother. Or as John's gospel says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That's the first truth. This is the reason the wise men were on their way to worship this baby. 
this baby is the Messiah. Two, Jesus is to be received and worshipped not just by the Jews, but by all the nations of the world. And that, friends, is the significance of the Magi. Imagine, imagine, the very first ones actually invited and led by God himself through the star, these ones first invited to come and worship the king of the Jews aren't Jews. They're Gentiles. They were outsiders to all the previous covenants. Notice, Matthew doesn't focus attention on the shepherds in the hills near Bethlehem. He doesn't even mention those Jews coming to find the baby. He focuses on these foreigners. How clearly Matthew emphasizes the nations when he writes his account of Jesus. This is Matthew. He opens his book with the Gentiles coming to Jesus. He closes his book with Jesus sending his disciples to the nations in what we call the Great Commission. This all fits perfectly together with what the prophets, the Jewish prophets, had said of the Messiah, prophet Isaiah. Nations shall come to your light. Kings, through the brightness of your rising, may all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. So Matthew immediately shows us the nations coming to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Three. It's the ultimate priority of Father God that his son be known and acknowledged by all the nations. This is similar to the last point, but expands on it a bit. If Jesus isn't actually the Messiah, God the Son, King of Kings, Savior of the world, if he isn't, then it doesn't matter much what we do with him. Almost everyone gives some place in their thinking to Jesus, great moral teacher, religious prophet, a superstar. The question is, what place, what place should Jesus have in a world full of other religious options? That is the crucial Christmas question. And the scriptures give an answer to it. Matthew 2 Verse 2, and then 7 to 10. We read these words. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go, search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I can't explain all those verses, what they reveal, but God does something magnificent here. I don't know how God used that star 
to bring these Gentiles to the manger, but we should never lose the big picture, the amazing nature of those details. Four specific times in five verses, we read that God was so committed to bringing the nations to Jesus, he actually used his power to alter the solar system. Think about that. I don't know how often that's happened. You have the account in Joshua where God made the sun stand still. We know the sun doesn't move, but he stopped the rotation and kept things still. That's one time. Here's the first time. He actually uses his power to alter the solar system to get these Gentiles to the manger. It's not the only time, even in the Christmas account, that God does this. Luke shows God orchestrating the events of the entire Roman Empire to create a tax census so that Mary and Joseph would be forced to come from Galilee to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born because the prophet said Bethlehem. What does God do? He changes the way the Roman Empire thinks. And he gets them to Bethlehem. Now the Gentiles need to see the Savior, and he takes a star, moves it from where it was, brings it over the manger so they'll stop there and see what's going on. Why does God go to all this trouble? That's a big deal. We we get so used to reading it that we don't let it kind of wash over us and stun us. He goes to all this trouble because God wants the world to have the witness of fulfilled prophecy. And Micah said the Messiah would be born not in Galilee, but in Bethlehem. And God wants to have the written record point to the unique identity of the Christ child. Certainly in our world, everyone has their opinion about how important the birth of Jesus is. The real question we need an answer to is, what is Father God's opinion of God the Son? How important is it in God's eyes? That's the only thing that matters. Answer, well, quite literally, he arranges the solar system, shuffles the agenda of empires to make conditions align with his own promise about the birth of Jesus. His plan then and now is that the nations worship his son, and he wants everybody to know about it in your neighborhood, in your office, in your school. That's God's heart. The proclamation of a Christmas message like this takes an incredible amount of courage. I read these words just a few days ago from John Piper. He sums it up like this. Listen to these words. Today the call for courage arises especially from the pluralism of our time. In this relativistic atmosphere, a call for repentance and faith in Christ is not seen as love, but as insolence. 
Judaism, Islam, New Age spirituality stake equal claim on the soul. Saying in public, 1 John 2.23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, that will not win you the reputation of compassion, but of conceit and arrogance. If relationships and goodwill are your only measure of love and success, you're never going to stand for Christ. That's quite a quote. That's quite a quote. Four. Jesus is troubling to those who don't want to worship him and is the root of opposition for those who do. I think, I think Matthew intentionally sets two kingdoms visibly in opposition to each other in the first three verses of the second chapter. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod and all Jerusalem troubled. Why so troubled? Well, you got these two kingdoms. You got these two kings. If Jesus is truly king of kings, every knee must bow before him and self-rule then and today. Self-rule hates the king of kings. Such is the true meaning of the birth of Jesus, God the Son for me for you. If Jesus is truly God with us, personal sovereignty ends. And Herod serves as a graphic reminder that we all are more subtly, maybe not like Herod, but he's a reminder of, of what I can be inside my own skin. Herod, true, an extreme case, but by no means an isolated case. People who want self-rule, who don't want to bow in repentance and humility before their Redeemer will always have a tough time with the real Jesus and the Christmas record because that cuddly baby in the manger grew up and said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's what the baby said. There's really nothing democratic about the Christmas message. God makes his choice, his plan about redemption and calls to worship God the Son. He casts his vote. By the way, I know this isn't a big deal, but never miss, never miss the quiet, the quiet agenda behind happy holidays replacing Merry Christmas. Christmas must be tamed, or we'll have to give that baby his voice. Five. True worshipers bow before Jesus, understanding the uniqueness of his person, and they move on in transformation of character. I'm looking at verses 11 and 12. Going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother. 
They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. We sang about that. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the goal of everything. This is why God is so intent on honoring the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is why he moves heaven and earth, literally moves heaven and earth, to make the nations know. The divine mission of Christmas is to have all peoples everywhere bow before Jesus in adoration, obedience, and worship. There's all sorts of things that we know that don't affect us very much. That's okay. When I was young, I read and reread The Adventures of Huck Finn. Probably the book police have banned it by now. But I still love some of the fictional works like that. I was reminded of the part of the story where Huck would have supper at the widow Douglas's house. And she was constantly trying to reform and convert poor Huck. After supper, she would teach him lessons from the Bible. Huck says, after supper, she got out her book, started learning me about Moses and the bulrushers. And I was in a sweat to find out all about him. Then by and by, she let it out that Moses had been dead a considerable long time. So then I didn't care no more about him. I don't put much stock in dead people. Lots of people know about the birth of Jesus the way Huck knew about Moses. It's just history. It doesn't touch their lives. So just how important is the birth of Jesus? I'm almost done. Well, if he's dead and gone and that's it, then he's of very little importance at all, other than maybe historical interest. And perhaps some people might cite him as a good example, though that makes no sense at all. Because if he was really a good teacher and a good example, he wouldn't have said he was God, because then he'd just be lying. Liars aren't good examples to anybody. The Bible gives this very different picture of why Jesus is so important. You don't see the whole thing with the babe in the manger. By the way, it wasn't a mistake that he's born in a manger. Remember reading a brilliant theologian. The impression the average person has is they went to the Holiday Inn, there were no rooms, so he had to be born in a manger. And I don't think that's it. I think this is the way God moved the star. I think this is all God's doing. Where else would a lamb be born? Lambs aren't born in hotels. Lamb of God, the lamb is born. There's this prophetic picture of what's going to unfold in his life. The Bible gives this picture. It talks about things that we don't think about very much at Christmas, but should. 
It talks about a day when we will all stand before the living Christ. It's absolutely inevitable. Ready or not, you'll stand before Jesus. Everybody will. And Jesus is going to make some very important pronouncements about each one of us. Christians, Jews, Muslims, New Agers, atheists, agnostics, everybody. I want to read as I wrap up. I want to read these words from the Bible that get read very, very rarely in churches anymore. They're right in your New Testament. Just listen as I read. And then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Tell me the last time you heard those read in a church. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There'll be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. huge words and he said to me it is done I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give them from the spring of the water of life without payment to the one who conquers the one who conquers will have this heritage I will be his God he will be my son What I'm trying to say is those pungent, graphic words have everything to do with Christmas. Look at those wise men. They are recorded as an encouragement for all of us to come. Outsiders, no advantages. No matter how far removed, no matter how unqualified you might feel. Herod, on the other hand, is a warning. Don't rebel in your heart. Don't rebel in your heart. The birth of that Christmas Lord puts a leash on all human history. Things will come to an end. Jesus will come again as King of Kings. There will be no arguments. 
And here you and I stand today facing an inevitable appointment with the baby born in the manger who is coming again as King of Kings. Lord of Lords, and I can't wait for that. Sick of all the wickedness in this world, aren't you? I'm sick of it. I can't fix it. The King of Kings will. Are you ready for that day? wasn't planning on ending this way. And I hope I don't mess it up for everybody. Are you ready for that day? Just as surely as he came the first time, he's coming again. It will be as real and as literal an event. The Bible says every mouth will be stopped. Winston Churchill said something really beneath the man on his deathbed. He said, I'm ready to meet him. I hope he's ready to meet me. Oh, he's ready. No one's going to have any wisecracks when they stand before the throne. There's hope. I talked about sick of the evil in this world. You might be sick of the evil in your own heart the things you wrestle with that you wish you could change, the areas where you don't even measure up to your own conscience, let alone a blazingly holy God. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The babe grew up, the Lamb of God, died on the cross for your sin and mine, rose from the grave to show there's only one who can give eternal life, and it's Jesus, and said he's coming again. I want to be ready, don't you? Don't you? Let's just bow.